Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features Alec Steinfeld. Hailing from Austin, Alec rose through the ranks at C3 Presents to becoming the director of digital before pivoting his career into artist management. Alec and I discuss how digital has evolved over the past 10 years, specifically building community around talent. Listen in as we take apart the many hats that Alec has worn throughout his career, expanding the digital division at C3 to founding his artist management company to product at Spotify. Here is yet another episode that you do not want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog. Info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. All right, so today we've got Alex Steinfeld. Alec is an artist manager. He's a new NBA, MBA that's joined the music industry. Right now you're working where exactly? I know that we spoke a little bit about Spotify. You, you had an internship at Spotify. You've got your own artist management company. Is that where you're working now or do you have some other things in the books? Right. So this summer I interned at, at Spotify with an MBA internship. And I'm going to go back to work with them full time starting next summer. And in the meantime, I'm just finishing up my MBA and also continuing uh, my artist management business, which uh, I've named InPlay Partners, but it's really just me and two clients that I've worked with for a little over two years now. Cool. Who are your clients? I manage a electronic producer slash uh, virtuoso pianist, uh, Anomaly, who's based in Montreal, and another electronic producer, <laughs> virtuoso pianist, uh, Rava Raja, who's uh, currently based in Portland. Um, but they both have different production sounds and styles and approaches to their craft. But you know, one introduced me to the other, and yeah, you know, I just am super fans of both. And it's just been a, a pretty fun ride working with both of them. Yeah, I was going to ask if they knew each other, seeing as they're both, you know, producers, virtuoso pianists. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, like, that's the thing with artist management is that, you know, a lot of clients introduce you to other clients, I guess. It becomes, um, you know, I've, I've found that like a lot of other managers get their next clients because like their artists are like their own A&Rs for them, right? Because they're in the scene and super passionate about it and have great ears and they're almost closer to what's happening. The artists are almost closer to what's happening or really are than even the music professionals are. So 100%. I've actually heard that on a few other episodes too. Some agents have told me that as well. They're like, you know, I'm like, how do you get your clients? How do you know which clients are going to do well? And they're like, well, usually my other clients will say, hey, I was on tour and I heard this guy's, this guy performer. I heard this girl, I heard one of her singles and I think you should really check them out. So how did you get into artist management in the first place? Who was your first client? Yeah, so I sort of fell into it in a weird way and it was kind of out of necessity, I guess. You know, I graduated from college in 2013, which was the lowest point of the recorded music industry. If you look at it just in terms of gross revenue, I think at the time, I knew I wanted to work in music. I'd interned at a, a variety of different types of companies. I studied music business at NYU and had a lot of opportunities of just being in New York to try out a bunch of different music companies and tried out artist management, tried out publishing. I guess in retrospect, didn't really try out a label because I kind of just wrote them off because they were laying off people and I assumed they just weren't going to hire anyone. Their timing was off, you know, it was just like streaming was barely on the horizon at the time. 
my bet was that it was going to save the industry. And I knew a lot of other people felt that way. But it's odd to say that it wasn't like consensus at the time. And I got an internship at this company called C3 Management, which I had tried to, at the time, get an internship at like three different times and finally got it going into my senior year and worked in their artist management department. I actually wanted to work on the live side and they funneled me into artist management, which at the time, like initially I was kind of upset about. (laughs) And then once I got worked with uh, my boss at the time, Ryan Madison, who was like their head of digital. He kind of took me under his wing and showed me all the stuff that you can do to blow up a band just through working online and just being super scrappy and kind of melding the world of understanding all the different like nuances of touring and then combining that with everything that you could do online. And he saw that he just could learn really quickly and take it over. And then after the end of the internship, he's like, hey, do you want to come back? after you're done and and work for us and lead our digital efforts. And that's how I started working at C3, which was, I guess, a lot of people don't know what C3 is. They're a concert promoter. They are currently now part of Live Nation, but at the time that I joined them, they were the third largest independent concert promoter in the United States. And they started Austin City Limits and restarted Lollapalooza as we know it today, including the international festival brand. So they are the main concert promoter out of Austin and also do massive multi-genre festivals. So a really big, really profitable company. The founders, which it's called C3 because it's run by three Charlies, which funny enough, a lot of people don't know. Charles Atal, Charlie Walker, and Charlie Jones. And they wanted to be in management and started this management company kind of on the side and figured that they could leverage their festival properties and just like relationships and acumen to blow up different bands. So when I joined, the roster was like super eclectic and I I love that. You know, we had like Tori Moi, Blues Traveler, Beats Antique, Bass Nectar, Grammatic, Lettuce. Those are like some of the ones that I like initially start working on. And then The ambition of the company kept growing and we brought in like really substantial clients like The Strokes and NAS and Future and got to work with these like big superstar artists from like a digital capacity, but also these like kind of beginning early stage baby bands and like mid-tier indie bands like, you know, The Head and the Heart and Houndmouth. And it was kind of crazy just because I had to work on digital capacity for 20 plus clients and scale out a team to serve you know, this company as it continued to grow and take on more managers. And it was, to be honest, like super hectic, but that's how like I started in artist management. And then from there, I just expanded. And, you know, there's another part of the story after C3, but that's how I initially got my start into, see, I kind of fell into it. It's not actually initially what I wanted to do. Ended up loving it and found that I had like sort of a knack for it and found a really good fit for me company-wise. That's sweet. That roster sounds really eclectic over at C3. And so why didn't you really want to work in the management side at the start? I think, it, you know, it was all contextual because like at the time, I actually like wanted to go to law school, funny enough. Like I, I was studying politics. Did you want to do like entertainment law? No, I was thinking about just like kind of going like the legal route and then just figuring out what I wanted to do because I was kind of like a a politics nerd and was actually getting like pretty good grades in politics at NYU and thought that was like a pretty good track for me. 
you know, just to kind of like be like a safe bet and to explore that interest as well. But interested in entertainment law, but I was also just like was exploring other aspects. And then I think as soon as I got to C3, that kind of went out the window. I actually, when I interned at C3, I was also interning at like the Texas state capital. I had like two internships, like one for like a representative and like another for the music company. And one was obviously way more fun and interesting. <laughs> so so I, I was able to choose one path for me that was like much better, but yeah. right. Where are you from originally? I, I should have asked at the beginning. Are you from Texas? I'm from Texas. Yeah, I'm from Houston, Texas. That's why C3 was even on my radar. Most of the interns there are like, you know, come out of UT specifically. Like they have a lot of alumni there. But um, yeah, I just knew. I think like going to ACL when I was 16 was the moment that I thought that I wanted to work in the music industry. So it was like very kind of like special company for me. That inspired me to eventually work there. Yeah, going to Stubbs, like that venue, like I saw a band there that like made me think like, oh yeah, this is actually something I want to do. And then also seeing Austin Sea Limits and thinking like, how does this come together? Like, what's the, how does this work? And I have to figure this out. And there's there's clearly something interesting here. And this is the path that I should go. So sweet. And so starting on the management side, you know, you, we were talking that there's like an, an eclectic roster and you said that you were there while they were growing and expanding their roster pre-Live Nation acquisition or Live Nation buying in and owning a majority stake. I think that, I think that's the situation, right? That is the situation. I don't know like how much they own now, but that's what I think is currently the case still. Yeah, they own like a 51% stake in the company, which basically means they own it, right? It's just, but it's kind of like dating. They didn't have to like fully commit. And if something didn't work out, they could, it was much easier for them to bail. That's kind of like how it works from like a private equity standpoint. So Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's where your MBA knowledge comes into play as well, knowing how the business side works. I, I guess. I mean, you know, it's like you can kind of learn these things on your own without getting an MBA. You know, it was just a little bit curious. All the information's out there for you. So seeing how they had the management side and they also had the live side, right? So C3 had both sides and you were seeing this expand. What tactics would you say C3 used to grow their management wing? Were they were they utilizing their live side and placing a lot of their baby bands on their festival properties? Yeah, for sure. So that was a big component. People will find this interesting that like, I think when festivals are being booked, it really is about the headliner, you know, like the headliners get significant payouts compared to the other artists on a festival roster. Mm. And it always starts with that, you know, in terms of like the booking. And then they kind of work down from there. And then I think the further down you go, this may be like a controversial way of putting it, but like the more interchangeable different artists are. Are you ever going to look at like the third tier down at like a roster or like the second tier down and be like, oh, I'm not going to go to Coachella because like this artist isn't there or something like that. It's it's kind of like always like added bonus because of that dynamic. It's kind of fickle all the time, like who gets on a festival or not. So but at the same time, it's a lot of value when an artist is building their touring career. So it's a huge plus for C3 to kind of get their clients on the the festival side. And then I honestly, it's like, it was that plus a lot of smarts and expertise. Like the Charlies are just really, really, really sharp dudes. Like scary smart. Like being in the rooms with like Charlie Walker is like, you're like, it's one of the more intimidating like music industry experiences you can have. Like, I'm not sure if I'll ever have a boss like that again, just because he's like very sharp and very peering and like knows just so much about the music industry. And 
you know, they just have like a lot of leverage in terms of making big decisions. So I think they just hired smart people and had a, a lot to gain or a lot to offer from that perspective. That, that was kind of like the two selling points for like, if you're, if I was a manager at C3, it'd be like the festivals and like access to the Charlies who have a lot of sway and experience under their belt. So so we know why you chose C3, right? Because it was close to home. It was familiar. You knew it. But you said you applied a few times and you didn't get in. Can you talk a little bit about that experience, like applying, maybe getting rejected? Were you interviewed the first few times? Like, how, how was this process? Not interviewed, not contacted. You know, you have three summers in college, right? And so that's really not that much, you know, in terms, in terms of experience that you can get. You kind of have to make the most of it. So I had applied, like, going into my sophomore year and, like, didn't hear anything. And then I applied going into my junior year and didn't hear anything. And then finally going into my senior year, I was like, you know what? Do I know someone there? You know, like, obviously, like, the obvious sort of, like, question that, like, we should ask. My brother actually went to UT, and I asked him, like, hey, listen, do you know anyone that works at this company? Because, like, he's like, yeah, I actually know one of the guys from my fraternity it actually works there now. And so I'm like, oh, okay, great. And so for a company like that, like, you know, you know for instance, like I got a an internship at Spotify too. And there's kind of like a similar dynamic there, which is like a thousand people applied for like the one internship spot I had at Spotify. And so at C3, it's like no different. Like everyone's applying to this company because it's in super high demand. And anyone who's local there, they're not a super advanced operation. Like they don't have like robo resume screeners and stuff or like a fully functioning HR department. Welcome to the music industry. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like there's not like this really thought out operations funnel for like talent pipeline, whatever they're doing. It's like they're not reading all these resumes. So like, how do you actually stand out, get them to actually just read your resume? And the good thing for me is that like, I actually, it was a good thing that I interned for them before my senior year because they were able to offer me a job like. Right, because they knew who you were. Yeah. And by the time that I applied, I had a lot of experience, right? I had interned at a lot of other places and was able to make mistakes at these other companies that I was like less inclined to work at. (laughs) You know, I was able to kind of shed a little bit and it gave me perspective that this was actually a good place that I wanted to work in a way. So it all kind of worked out in the end. Just real quick, where else did you intern? I interned at Downtown Music Publishing at this company called Song Trust, which is still doing pretty well. And then, let's see, I worked at Flatiron Management Group, which was the management company for My Morning Jacket before they merged with Red Light. Right. And they also did Fly the Concords, which I was a big fan of. Was that with um, Steve Feinberg? No, his, his name was uh, Mike Martinovich. Yeah, he was the, the manager. And then there was a couple other people. Yeah, because I think, I think Steve and Mike used to have a management company called a Fine Martini. But Steve used to manage uh, Good Charlotte. Oh, okay. Nice. Anyhow, when I was an intern, I was kind of snaking my way through, and Steve was one of my contacts that I that I ended up getting a lunch date with. Cool. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, that was an awesome experience. Um, and then I interned at Red Light too. You know, th- those were fine. You know. Was this all in New York, like in your first two summers? Yeah, there was in New York. Some of them I was during my actual time at NYU. So like that was the cool thing about going to college in a town with companies in it you know, that you can actually <laughs> like do your schoolwork and then, you know, it's spent half your week at like a job or 
a sort of like quasi job, I guess, you know? Yeah. Do two days a week or something or half a day or. Right. Yeah. So say what you want about maybe NYU or, or school like USC, but like the fact that you're in a music city and can do that, like while you're in school, I think is invaluable because like you're just going to have two X more experience than people coming back after that. So interesting. Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.